Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Frankly, we were a tad concerned with your performance history against a deal of this size. But after meeting you two face-to-face, we feel like we're in good hands on this one. We won't let you down. Sirs. Not to mention your bid was far too attractive for us to pass up. What did you mean by that exactly? He means you boys lowballed the entire industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, by how much...
you guys came in $53 million lower than the nearest competition. Oh, okay. Hello, everyone. You have found another clever evening with the Next Real Film Board on Rashpixel.fm. Each month, we gather a gang of thugs to take on a movie just opening in theaters and spoil it for you because spoilers are good for the soul. Tonight on the show, we're all going to bark, woof, barf at the fish out of water in War Dogs. I'm JJ, and joining me tonight from the abandoned Slavic grottos of the Southwest, we have uh, lover of fake guns, Tommy Handsome. Hello! Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Mass peruser of the Internet Firearms Database, Andy Nelson. The bigger, the better. <laughs> and we welcome back our hired gun, because it was so much fun last time. Say hello, Alice Baker. Hello, hello, point blank range, everyone. Bam! <laughs> uh, Alice, it, it's really interesting because you joined us for the Now You See Me 2 podcast, and we have kind of a different lineup of thugs here with you tonight, so Tommy and I didn't get to hang with you, but it was awesome and very fun, and uh, if you're listening along with us, you may remember that Alice is the co-host and co-founder of the Educating Geeks team at EducatingGeeks.com. What's new over there, Alice? Well, what's new is a podcast that producer Chrissy Lentz is doing for us called Whoa, a most excellent piano, piano, a most excellent Keanu, <laughs> pew, pew, Keanu Reeves podcast. Uh, so lovers and non-lovers of Keanu Reeves get together and are working their way through his entire um, filmography. His and it's entire? A yeah. So she set it up. So she... Uh, took his most recent film and his first film, and she's working toward the middle, which surprisingly enough turns out to be The Matrix. Oh, so it's kind of like middling upwards then maybe. Yeah, so first film against last film, and then it, you know, they, they just come together. Um, it's I got to be on a couple. I, I was on uh, Dangerous Liaisons with Ro uh, 47 Ronin, which was an interesting uh, pair to talk about. <laughs> weird, <laughs> right? Weird. Very different. Sounds, <laughs> sound, sounds like a flick chart hate crime. Well, everyone uh, out there, you can learn more about the film board and this show at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and check out our experimental baloney on Snapchat and Instagram at The Next Reel. Uh, did anyone do Instagram stories? Andy, did you do one this time? I did, uh, I think. <laughs> I did it. I saw Pete's, and then I went and did it, and then uh, I it couldn't get it to play. So I don't know if it actually was there or kind of uh, was a uh, glitchy. Is that an Instagram problem or is that an us problem? I, it's I'm blaming it on Instagram. <laughs> I am too, because I tried to log in and its security jumped me out. It's been doing that to everyone because of all the different logins, and so I keep having to go to the uh, the web page and I get these emails from uh, the website saying that. Somebody else has logged in. Is it you? <laughs> Are you guys sharing the account? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, I must check out the shenanigans that you're clearly getting up to over at Instagram. Alice, we share everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I even know what that meant. Did it I know. I was, I was saying I slowly back out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <that's right. laughs> We're all right behind you, Alice. <laughs> yeah. Whoever said that, I don't know. But yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so we are doing some shenanigans there. We tried Snapchat for a while, and now we're seeing that in the Instagram stories, they're doing the same sort of thing. One of the things that we're trying to do as a group when we see these film board movies is 
give the idea of like a sense of place of what's happening in the theater when we're going to these movies because some of them are huge and some of them have you know lines to get in we did the force awakens last you know december uh so there's a big story there with that and then sometimes we run into situations where we're up against other uh releases that kind of make everything small and i think that's an interesting story as well so we're trying to share that as a group there and running into you know security check problems and things like that um and and then of course we're changing our voices on snapchat because she's our guest and because Tommy and I didn't get a chance to talk with her on Now You See Me Too, let's start our Fed Biz Ops search with Alice. What was your initial <laughs> impression here with uh, the War Dogs? I, I I feel like I say this about every movie. I didn't hate it. Um, I th- There were actually a lot of aspects of it that I, that I really enjoyed, but it did feel flat for me um, because I feel like this story has been told before this, you know, parable of American greed um, in, in right. This is just a new trapping. And of course it's not even necessarily so, I mean, it's fascinating that it's based on a real story, <laughs> but even that in and of itself isn't new. We've seen other stories based on that same theme th- that are also based on uh, true stories. So I-, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would actually. Um, but it did fall a little bit short for me, and I'm sure we'll get into the details of, of why that is. <laughs> well, and you said you you feel like you say that a lot. Do you, you think that's with movies in general or just in particular the two movies that you've uh, sat in with us on? <laughs> I I feel like perhaps that I say it in, in general, and I don't know if that's because I am just naturally a person that it, you're going to have to work really hard to get an A from me, period, right? You know, perfection sure. is a is a path, not a destination. Um, and I also think that it's because of my geeky nature. I'm around a lot of geeky people who I feel have a tendency um, to gush even when something's not gush-deserving. Uh, uh-huh. and, and so I think I might err on the side of being – pointing out like, well, but <laughs> – just yeah. because it's, you know, Joss Whedon doesn't necessarily mean it's awesome. You know, he <laughs> everything he makes isn't amazing. Sorry. You know, that right. kind of a thing. But I, I do feel like I say it a fair amount. There are very few films that I think I see where uh, I'm floored. Well, I, I actually think you're probably in good company then there with us because I think that happens to a lot, especially on the film board. And we'll get into that a little bit when we start to rank this movie. We'll see what it comes up against. Um, uh, Tommy, Tommy, what did you think of this one? First, Alice, I think that's a really interesting point of view. And I like that because I see the opposite sometimes with a lot of people where it's very easy to strike down movies. Very easy to just sort of be snarky about them. You said, you know, it's not the best thing I've ever seen. Or no, you said it's not the worst thing ever seen. A lot of people that I know just sort of say it's not the best thing ever seen. It's not an Oscar. So I kind of like that mix. So I appreciate that. Um, for me about War Dogs, uh, I am was kind of conflicted when I was walking out of the theater uh, because I enjoyed it, uh, mainly because I really like Scorsese. Um, <laughs> I really like how Scorsese filmed Goodfellas and... Uh, uh, what's it called? Wolf of Wall Street. And that's really, especially for me, Goodfellas, this was a step-by-step kind of, I feel like he and his team were like, 
we're going to make this film uh, based in history, so let's just exactly do that. And I love Goodfellas, so I kind of had a lot of fun. So I was conflicted back and forth, and then ultimately by the time I got to my car, I realized I had forgotten most of it, so the conflict (laughs) sort of went away. And is that a positive or a negative? It's... I had a lot of fun in the theater, but unlike Goodfellas, it didn't stay with me. And I think that's an interesting point. I think there's a lot of of, of films that you see an homage or a style here with... um, and I think I think we can talk about whether or not this stacks up against them. Um, Andy, uh, did you have any sort of feelings like those? Yeah, relatively. Although I think I liked it less than you guys did. Um, <laughs> so I, world weary already. <laughs> that's the best first word for a review I ever heard. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. It, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I I worked hard on on the proper enunciation of that actually oh to make God. sure I, it came out just right. Capital Y E. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The um, it was one of those films that I I watched and I um, I I, uh, I felt like I ended up agreeing. I I saw the just the I think the first line or something of the uh, Ebert uh, or the review over on RogerEbert.com, which basically said something like. Uh, it's a film about horrible people that refuses to own their horribleness. Uh, and I kind of felt that way. It's like, I, I feel like I've enjoyed satires before about characters like this, like in The Wolf of Wall Street, where I, I get to see some awful people doing awful things. But uh, in a way, I find that the filmmakers are maybe, you know, pointing out something about that particular situation uh, to point out the satire or there or there's either some redemption in the characters or we watch them completely fall and uh, but there's a message for us in it and this one I didn't really feel had that and that kind of left me a little uh, kind of a bad taste in my mouth by the time I got to the end of the film I, I wish that there was something a little stronger with it and I don't know if it was a failing on on just the actual story um, or just the way that Todd Phillips and his team chose to tell it. Um, but I really, uh, I, I kind of, um, I don't know, I felt like it's a story, like like Alice said, you know, these types of films, we've seen a lot of them before. And uh, this one didn't seem to do that much new for me. Um, and uh, in particular, I, I feel like I'm getting really tired of seeing Jonah Hill playing this type of character. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think it's really interesting the movies that you guys bring up that you thought of um, in terms of Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street, um, and and the impression that they left with you. Because as I mentioned before, I I, I really felt like this movie was bland. Um, I was going in feeling that you know this the that Phillips was going to bring this sort of slick uh, and and strong impression to to the movie, and I, I really feel like it lacked that. Uh, Goodfellas, for example, Goodfellas, I I. After watching that, I had nightmares for three days because of just how much I was into the movie. And Wolf of Wall Street, I had to stop in the middle because it was too intense, the badness that was going on there. So I think that this it, this felt like a cheap imitation for those movies. That this that isn't the movie that I thought of while I was watching this. The movie that I kept coming to was The Big Short, which I think um, mm-hmm. was so innovative in the way that it took this story that was in general not very the big short was about numbers and about things that were bland and made them very unbland and that was kind of the whole you know sort of value proposition of that film as it came at you in the in the theater and i liked that so much it it, it resonated with me as an audience member where this it, i felt like maybe they felt like they didn't need to do that because it was about 
guns and it was about ex- explosions so if they slicked it up a little bit it was going to do enough for us and it just never did that for me it never took me anywhere it never it never it never reached a story that i thought was interesting i think their life story is particularly interesting but i think the way that it was told here was not that great um one of the things that i kind of wanted to chat about this was that in on imdb they categorize this movie as um a comedy there's three things they say that it's comedy uh drama and war um and i don't war. know which war yeah, yeah i'm like there are um, things involving war like bullets sure in a war film yeah and uh, <laughs> did you guys find it funny uh slash dramatic slash war i felt the uh, my sense was that if todd phillips had made it comedy war and 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 use that to really draw the satire out that it would have been stronger i actually felt that the addition of the dramatic elements of particularly miles teller's character really just kind of bogged it down i mean i i felt like it was in there but I, for me it just felt like so played out like i had seen that a million times before and it just it wasn't working for me in this film did any of you guys laugh i laughed once what was it? Uh, and I have a, I seemingly have a really weird habit of laughing when nobody else in the movie theater laughs. Um, but it's when the during the credits, <laughs> <laughs> it's when the young man, and I think it's hilarious. So I really don't understand why I was the only one that was laughing uh, when the young man asks him what AEY stands for, yeah. Yeah. and he goes like, "What you mean, like morally?" <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It, it's funny, right? But and I—that's the only—and I—I cackled out loud and then stopped myself because I realized nobody else was cackling. Um, but that was the only time that I laughed. And that see, I—I—I I, I think I maybe laughed once. I don't even remember which part I laughed at. But I agree with you that that is clever. That part is clever. And I felt like as I was listening around my theater, I felt like everyone was having a moment like that, like just like you described, where they cackle out loud. But they felt like they were the only ones doing it. There was nothing, you know. You talk about this being the team that brought us the Hangover, which potentially pushed the envelope enough that it was, you know, a new sort of revolution in comedy, and everybody was laughing at that movie. I don't think anyone felt that way about War Dogs. I my audience was pretty. Uh, they got into it a little more. There was good. some. There was some good laughs in my theater. Um, I I don't know why, but it just was. And I mean, I know I laughed a few times. I couldn't tell you which times they were. Um, I felt like the the moments that uh, I laughed at in the trailer were probably the ones that most people were still laughing at because. You know, people still laugh at those even though they've already seen it. Right. But um, you know, I'm trying to remember if there was something new or unique that people laughed at, but nothing is standing out. Uh, Jonah Hill's crazy laugh as the character. I'm sorry, what's his name? Ephraim. (laughs) Ephraim. That started, like, the first time he did it, I kind of laughed a little bit. And then after that, it seemed like some of those laughs happen as ADR. Like, when you have his, (laughs) when he has his back to the camera, and I'm like, okay, they sold a they've been really saying the hangover director the hangover director and i feel like they didn't a lot of the laughs didn't show up and so from the audience and so they started injecting little affectations like that maybe to try to help Mm. out for me that stuck out i think one of the reasons why imdb or any of us would have a have are having difficulties categorizing it is because it doesn't really deliver on any of those things in the end it kind of sort of does in a lot of different ways, but it never really delivers on any one. You know, the drama is weak. The comedy is weak. War is just 
ridiculous notion on IMDb's part, you know, but it doesn't, for me anyway, it just never quite delivers on on any of the things that it was, any of the, even the big ideas that it was trying to, to deliver on. Right, and I see here in the show notes someone mentioned that the, the big uh, drive, the war drive through Iraq never really took place. In the real story, in the, you know, in the actual events that occurred around this story. I guess you would say that's a big comedic piece. But also kind of stressful and also... Is that the war piece or is that the comedic piece? The finale of that sequence is comedic. But I mean, it's, it's I guess it's action-filled, right? Up, you know, as the Fallujah's kind of chasing them. I don't know. It wasn't that uh, exciting for me. But, uh, and, they, and, the, and the end of that we'd already seen. That was one of the funny parts in the trailer when they're like, yeah, we drove through the Triangle of Death, you know, and that... Right. Right. We drive through a lot of triangles. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that they they did say that you know the film is heavily fictionalized yeah. and dramatized, making it uh, you know pointing out that this script was uh, was heavily changed from the truth. And I, I I didn't read the Rolling Stone article it was based on, but uh, the screenwriters Todd Phillips along with Stephen Chin and Jason Smilovic. Um, obviously uh, chose to, you know, amp up the comedy and the drama, I guess, in this war story. Although I, I guess <laughs> it didn't necessarily work. For me, what I, uh, my sense is, because I, I got introduced to the story, which was, I was kind of excited where you guys invited me on for this one, is because I listened to um, Snap Judgment, uh, the show on NPR, and David... I'm not. I'm just not going to say anybody's last name. Uh, David was on that show, basically doing a little primer of this story, and it really fascinated me because I do uh, find the what people will choose to do to obtain that you know non-existent American you know the Donald Trump version of uh, the American dream. Uh, and so I did read um, the. You know, I was so fascinated. I was like, well, I need to, to know more about this. So I did read the the, the Rolling Stones article, although I haven't mm. read um, the book that the gentleman also wrote. Uh, and to me, what it really felt like they decided that they had to do was they had to try, although I think they failed, to get you to like one of the characters. <laughs> Right, because yeah. I, I do agree uh, uh, with whom, whomever in the show notes said, you know, I don't like any of these these people. They're all schmucks, and they and they are. But you know, in the film, Ephraim is clearly painted as the as the villain, as the manipulator, and David uh, is, I you know, he to me he's as reprehensible for heaven's sakes, but he's painted more as this you know, maybe not quite as sharp a guy who sort of goes along because he needs to make money because of his new baby, blah, blah, blah. And that somehow softens him to to make you try and like him more. And of course, then in the end, he really does end up, I, I think, you know, they're really trying to get you to symp- sympathize with him. Although they don't really give you a good reason to, in my no, opinion. No, <laughs> and I don't think you do. I, 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 that's the part that I think is interesting. I mean, even if we jump, I, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but when we talk about the, the, the first shot, last shot that's going here is that, you know, the, the first shot is us seeing him uh, it, it, on his way to getting beaten. Uh, by Henry, and then the end is him accepting hush money to not tell the true story. I mean, those aren't neither one of those things. I mean, is really sympathetic uh, for but us, but they're so relatable. So you've jumped to the conclusion that he did accept the hush money. So even at the end, they're trying to, 
You don't see him close the case and walk out the door. You see him tent his hands and lean toward the money saying, you know, he never says for sure he accepts. So, you know, and so I don't know if they're trying to be clever there and say like, everyone can walk out of the audience and decide maybe what they would do. And I don't know. But again, kind of a really weak ending for me. But I get the flip there beginning to end that you're pointing out. And it is pretty I mean, he's, you know, he's as much of a lying bastard as Ephraim is. So like, I don't know why I'm supposed to feel like he's a nice guy because he's not. It was a very odd uh, ending shot. It was like he was uh, Todd Phillips was trying to pull an inception sort of thing like, oh, let's leave it open ended. And But it's like, this is not the story to do that. And it made me question, uh, you know, the reason that he chose to do that. And the only thing that I can come up with is that, that in the end, the real person actually took the money. And if, if he, if he did that on screen, it just would make us not like him. And so I feel like they had to end it without showing that so that we could still kind of end with him like or with us liking him. I, I don't know, it was just kind of a weird ending for me. I felt like uh, a little let down by that. And totally weird because why would you leave the question in the hands of the audience when this is a true story? Exactly. Well, why would you give him a fake wife and child? I mean Oh, is that fake too? That's yes. Oh, I had no idea. That's fake. That was fake. That's that was that was a character that was completely created for the film. Oh, I did. well, that's that's amazing that they added. Wait a minute! Those. I just I'm I'm on the internet right now. There's no place called Albania. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This film is a mess. <laughs> my my part of my guess is um, for that stuff. And it does not work for me. Again, uh, I was the one, uh, I think, Alice, maybe that you were referencing in the show notes that said, like, unlike other films kind of like this, they forgot to give me personally, at least, a reason to care about the main characters. Right. That, like you said, having a wife and a kid isn't a save the cat situation. Hearing vague stories about growing up doesn't equal a backstory. You have to sort of, the fact that we didn't see any of those, the fact that you don't understand why these people want to be badasses except for just sort of vague stories doesn't really work enough i think that it's it's struggled to toe the line between a true story and then also putting miles teller as an everyman as a what would you do if you were this there was so much time spent in the voiceover the incredibly uh present voiceover of Miles Teller just sort of saying, can you believe it? Like, I was this, and now I'm this. What would you, you know, I just, I felt like the one thing that they weren't saying is, what would you do? And maybe that makes sense a little bit about keeping it ambiguous at the very end. I don't think it worked, but I thought maybe that's an option of what they were going for. Well, that's, I guess the, the, the reason why I'm so, I guess, shocked at the idea that the wife or the girlfriend, the baby mama and the baby are fictional is it's honestly, then the story is completely made up too because if the Iraq journey was fictionalized it could have been for comedic effect or for dramatic effect or that kind of stuff but if the characters and literally the true life person David Packhouse's motivation for the story that we're being told is fiction then this is not I mean there's really what what purpose is there to tell this story this way well, according to Wikipedia, which is, you know, the knower of all things, he actually does have one daughter born in 2007. Um, it doesn't mention any anything about a, a wife or girlfriend. So I'm guessing it was uh, there was a situation where he did have a baby. So at least the baby's there. But, uh, 
Uh, it sounds like the whole wife part was fictionalized. Yeah, and when you, it's interesting because on Snap Judgment, if you if you go back and listen to that, again, he's really he paints himself the way he talks about it. You know, it makes him sound like he's just like I just found myself in it, and suddenly I was in rack, and you know, going to these you know big conventions and handling gods, and you know, he almost makes it sound as if it was something that happened to him versus something that he chose to do in his life. And if right. you right, see that's that's the attempt at the everyman that I think they were trying to get to. And then if you read. The Rolling Stones article. The Rolling Stone article. He he comes off as much of an as Ephraim does. So it's <laughs> I, I, it's just I, I really felt like that they felt like they really needed to push that to to make you like the character, and it didn't make me like the character because not only is he falsifying documents in the story and lying and all this kind of stuff, but he's also doing it to his wife. And I think the objective sort of outside view of what this film is potentially then knowing what we know now from all the different sources that we have about this is that this film is actually probably just the next hustle for these guys. Um, You know, we talk about that. He was, he was a massage therapist. He was selling sheets. He was doing all these things and potentially he would tell the story. However, it needs to be told to get it made and get money from it. Uh, And that's probably okay. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, unless we're really trying to evaluate the value of telling the true story here, which I don't think we can evaluate based on the information we have. Yeah, for sure. So how did Miles Teller do in in playing that role of the fake, true, everyman, nobody <laughs> guy thing? <laughs> I actually liked his performance just fine. I, and I did like it more than I liked uh, Jonah Hill's performance. Because again, I, I, I think it was you, Andy, that's, I'm just kind of tired of him, Jonah Hill, playing that character. You know, I'm kind of... Whereas I don't know um, the other actors work as well. So he didn't... He, I hate that thing in movies where you can't see the character because you're so used to seeing the actor. Um, sure. And especially if the actor continues to play the same type of role over and over again, it gets harder and harder for me to separate the two. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I really, really like Miles Teller. I, I really, especially with Whiplash, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies in the last five years. Um, and I've been fully bought into the way that he sort of brings things to roles in lots of things. In this particular film, I felt like he, maybe it's because of that watered down every man that they were sending him out to play. I, I didn't get much from him. I, I didn't vibe with him at all. Um, and going for that sort of Todd Phillips thing, I think he needed to be more of a caricature of something to to have something creative in this film. And I, I, I just wasn't with him. And I, and again, I, I really like him and I want to see every movie he's in. It's just, it didn't work for me on this one. Well, I mean, you, you know how, how he was stoned all the time. I mean, how, you know, what do you expect, <laughs> man? Just kidding. That's true. <laughs> um, if you want to see every film of his, unfortunately, that means you're also going to have to sit through fantastic four, which is a real, a oh, real shame. Who is he in fantastic four? He's Mr. The Fantastic. second one. He's the he's the main yeah. actor versus he's Yoan Mr. Griffith. Stretchy. Yeah. He's Reed yeah, Richards. Exactly. Yeah, he is Reed Richards. Oh, yeah. in that throwaway movie that they just made, so they it, can keep. Yeah, the, the recent IP. one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Miles Teller was was all right in the role. I mean, it was no whiplash. Um, but uh, I don't know. I I I. I 
I was struggling. I, I can't remember if it was, I think it was uh, Steve in one of our back channel conversations mentioning that there was some animosity between him and Jonah Hill in the production of this, but I couldn't find anything online. It just stuck in my head, though, as I was watching this, wondering if they were really getting along or not. Um, but, uh, you know, I, since I don't know, I mean, I, I guess he did fine. They seemed to, uh, have a relationship. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, uh, the relationship between these two guys. And I did get a sense that this was a guy kind of struggling to figure out his place in the world. And he kind of falls into this peculiar situation. Um, I just wish that they could have found the, the real, uh, the satire in the script with this character uh, instead of coming up with the whole story with the wife and everything. Cause that just felt so played out. I know I already said that earlier, but it was just, it was so frustrating to me that every time we cut to his wife, who I mean, it was gorgeous. It was great uh, looking at her on screen, but it's just, it was so uh, tiring just seeing her having to play the same sort of role that we've seen a million times and him reacting to it, you know? Yeah, she was gorgeous, but she was relatively, I mean, her, she, her performance was flat. I mean, well, what, where did but what, she, what was she given? It's not totally. like they gave her anything to do, you know? She had no role. Like a, in a lot of these movies, she's in charge of talking to the husband over the phone at an inopportune time, bringing up things that are not appropriate right then while the husband is about to be shot. Oh. Like that's the – a lot of these kind of movies, um, I think I mentioned – or no, I will mention now American Sniper – and judging from the trailer uh, that actually showed, at least in my theater, before War Dogs, the upcoming Deepwater Horizon, um, there is a problem with strong female characters. They feel the need to put a woman into the film because they're like, well, we've got to have a woman. Totally. I mean, I appreciate that. I, I enjoy them trying to to spread the wealth as far as creating roles for everybody. Uh, but that being said, at the same time, it's like sometimes they just are so shoehorned into the story. It's like I don't need you to force this Jiminy Cricket character onto me in you know in this film uh, <laughs> just to have Jim- it in there. You know, I mean, right? I mean, it's all the time they do it. It's just it's always so frustrating. No, it is because they just complain about uh, people being in danger. Or they're saying, "Hey, you've got to come home to the family." And unfortunately, while that might be true, that's not in the same rhythm of the film. The film is sort of like exciting and trying to get involved in this stuff uh, because I brought up Scorsese, the difference of a character like, ooh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Lorraine Bracco? Like Scorsese, who again, this film steals so much from, he knows how to really flesh out strong characters, even really flawed characters like um, Magoo and Casino. What's her name? Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone at Casino, like even when they're disasters of a person, they have their own voice, they're strong, they're not just sort of there to be like, when are you going to come home? Well, this turned out, this is a lot like what we saw in Everest, if you remember in Everest, where they made sure that there was a satellite call home to the wives to tell the story. And I don't think that's necessary uh, as part of the story, uh, where you, if you're telling... I don't know. When you look at the true story, why why are they inserting this thing that doesn't necessarily need to be there? I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Alice has to say about this. I would say so females come, they think that that's going to give an element so females come to the theater. I think it's as base as that and they're getting it wrong, Alice. <laughs> well, first of all, I'd like to point out that Jonah Hill uh, is no wonderful thing to look at. He's not particularly pretty. Um, if we're, if that's going to be our litmus test for whether or not we want to see an actor on screen is whether or not they're quote unquote pretty. Um, yeah. but no, but you go to films to see the phone scene. 
I go to true or false. Alice, I go to you go to every film to see the the scene where the wife calls the man to just talk about families. Well, I of course I'm being sarcastic. Well, I I believe I pointed out in the last film. I'm actually uh, I am anti romance in an action movie. Like straight the. F- up like i don't want to see it i don't need it i love it um however i'd like to get some ladies in some action movies as opposed to the guys right so if you're going to leave it if you're going to give all the the guys who are who are out doing the action if it's going to be the guys then what's left for the ladies right but in this case i very firmly believe that they did much like in helms helm at the scene in helms deep where we keep cutting to the scene of the the women and children in the caves and it's to remind us what the men are fighting for right she's supposed to represent of someone who is we think going to end up giving him a moral compass right he in the end right there's the scene where he knocks on the door and he spills the beans and finally tells her the truth about everything and and she sort of that's the scene that really bothered me because i could not figure out what her facial expression was and i was okay with her up until then and then she kind of giggles and gives him a hug and we're all good and i'm like what the f <laughs> yes, you yes, know she, she smiled she literally broke yep. smiled in that yeah scene. And and I'm sitting there going, why is that okay for you to do that? Yeah, I, I agree. They, it was horrible. But that's what again. to me, that's why she's in the film is because she is supposed to represent. As often it said that you know men would just be if women weren't around. I, right. I might actually put forth that they're anyway <laughs> sometimes, but you know that's a, a, an idea that has been in the culture for quite some time. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you bring up Hell's De- Helms Deep because you think about it, it, the difference between a a, a True non or true true fictional story, and I shouldn't say true there. An actual fiction—that's not the right word either. <laughs> a fictionalized story, right? A complete fiction versus something that's trying that to hilarious. act like a true story, which is what we have here. And then what also we had on Everest, right, where they were inserting these phone calls or these moments at the door and whatnot. But you think about when in these in these fiction accounts, I think about movies like Interstellar or uh, or and I and now I'm on a on train here but also like contact where you have these strong female characters that are that are shown to be integral to the adventure that's going on i don't know how or why hollywood puts in these phone calls and these things in these true accounts if they're not there which is why i found so why i was so shocked that uh that that this character this baby mama may not even have been real for this story um because i think i think speaking for the voice of hollywood tommy i i think they're wrong and i think you're thinking that too when you say when you say sarcastically that women are going to the film to watch the phone call scene to remember remember what people are fighting for please know that i think that they're wrong it's such old hollywood filming it's such old old hollywood ideas of well if we're gonna make a film about bad boys being bad boys that's only half of our demographic so then we also have to get in uh females in the scene how do we do that and then unfortunately hollywood's ideas of how to handle women in that situation are so outdated and so disappointing and that's why i mean that they unfortunately drag down the story it's not their fault it's the fact that hollywood doesn't know what to do with them because hollywood is still based in the 50s uh of just sort of like 
you know, oh yeah, but what do they think at home? Like they're literally at home holding baby. That's like misogynist. That's so misogynistic. Yeah. Well, that's the screenwriter uh, issue that they had here is they're like, oh, well, we have to find a redeeming quality in our protagonist here. We've got to figure out something that makes him kind of a good character that our audience is going to like. You know, let's bring in the wife. And it, it it all just felt so specifically, you know, shoehorned in just to uh, really kind of uh, give us something to like about with this character. And it just didn't work. And it just is so frustrating that they, they couldn't just, you know, really man up and say, let's just make a serious, like, uh, not serious, but like a, a real war satire here. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it could have been yeah. so much stronger if they went that route. Yeah, and it's also like they said, let's let's make sure that that fictionalized thing to make us like him is pretty. Yes, <laughs> yes, of and course, that's, and that's just gross. Um, yeah, so let's yeah. let's label it properly. It is not the woman problem; it is the Hollywood screenwriter problem. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Oh, of course. I, I, what I meant by the woman. Right there, you go. <laughs> yeah, I meant the I meant the the woman problem that Hollywood. There has. you go. There you go. The women the women aren't the problem. Absolutely, uh, it's the woman problem in these kind of films that they're desperately trying to figure out how to include them, and that yeah. at a lot of films have really progressed, and a lot of big films like this, especially the bigger the budget, the more conservative they oh, still gosh. get. Either way, I still agree that women are problems. Okay, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that should be you some... backing out the door because I'm I'm I'm. Uh... Are you behind me right now? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 chambering. I'm chambering right now. The slide's That's going right. back, buddy. Wait a minute. Where's my dog? <laughs> what have you done with my dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, there were other men in the movie that I suppose we have to talk about. Uh, Kevin Pollock, Bradley Cooper. Anybody think anything's about those guys? Bradley Cooper seemed a little bit like a missed opportunity. I get it that he's Bradley Cooper, and I get it that he's. A Phillips guy and stuff. It seemed like stunt casting that he did didn't do anything with. I could, I kind of would have liked a little bit more of a dynamic, interesting performance from someone that isn't just sort of blandly pretty. Well, and he was not pretty in this movie. I don't Alice. find him pretty well, at all. He, oh, well, Alice gets to decide who's pretty right. or not. Come on, that's right, <laughs> Alice. You think I'm pretty? Right? I, I do think he's a good-looking man, but. That, <laughs> They made him not attractive in this movie. Either. Well, he I, no, but they made him look. But they made him look like a a, a bad A. <laughs> they made him look, you know, like he had crazy glasses and stuff. But that was the time. Like I don't know. I just it felt just sort of like someone else could have done something a little more interesting with that role. Sure. And again, you see Bradley Cooper. You don't see the character. Correct. That's a very much better way of what I was trying to say. <laughs> Alice, from now on, I'm going to point to you, and then you have to make my points make sense. Okay. <laughs> I think so much of Bradley Cooper, unfortunately, just again, falls to just screenwriting. It's like, why why include an actor like Bradley Cooper in a role like this that just didn't need somebody of his caliber to be in it, uh, as opposed to just any any old person? It, it didn't matter for this. The, the way this character was written, it didn't matter. And they, but it could have if they wrote that role in a much more interesting way. It just, it, I don't know. It just, in the scheme of the satire for, for what they were theoretically trying to do here, it just didn't do anything. It was a very bland role. Yeah. Well, and I think of something like maybe Brad Pitt and Snatch, right, where he goes full, full Cockney or full into the the mode where he's he is potentially viewed as stunt casting in that role, but he completely becomes it, and he becomes something different that makes the movie interesting. He's added value. Bradley Cooper didn't seem like added value at this point. He was a di- no. I agree that he was a distraction. Yep. 
So the way they went about trying to get this movie made, um, it's a huge mess. It's a huge mess. We talked about the Rolling Stone article. We talked. I, I'm really glad, Alice, that you've listened to the Snap Judgment um, podcast on it because I, I didn't know that. I did see that uh, Ephraim it, it wasn't even willing to talk to anyone about this because he's created a lawsuit because he thinks he has the right to tell his own life story, which I think is probably pretty fair, and especially since he's a huge antagonist in this version of it. Um, it, it I, I want to see the version where he's the protagonist. <laughs> well, isn't it true <laughs> that everyone film. is the protagonist in their own story? Uh, yes, um, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's interesting to look at this, especially all considering everything we've talked about here that, you know, obviously it's a true life story that happened, but it is the story that we saw in war dogs worth telling. I, I, I mean, again, for me, it's like all these ideas that they had, you know, cause on, there's a lot of slamming of the, you know, his, his proclamation of, you know, God, I love Dick Cheney's America, you know, in the, the slams against the way, you know, the Bush administration ran those wars, um, Right. So there's a whole sort of a missed opportunity. I think what you keep saying, Andy, is, you know, there's a whole missed opportunity to really go full satire on that aspect of the story, which they fell short of. Um, there's the American greed story again, which just falls flat. And I think a lot of us are weary of it at this point. I mean, I guess in some ways you could look at it as like a friendship story. You know, and what happens between <laughs> friends and tr- it's trust a real your friends. Of age in I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it that way, but it just falls short everywhere. And I mean, I, it's a fascinating story to think that these two fracking 20 year olds, young 20 year olds, could end up doing this. I mean, it's just mind boggling to me that this is true, you know. Um, but I agree with you. I think that this is not, I wish it would have been a different version of it. <laughs> well, and the discovery that we're finding here for me is that I think it's a fascinating headline. But beyond that, the, the story, I mean, if they're going to fictionalize the Iraq thing, if they're going to fictionalize characters, literally people, to come out and try to make us like one of the characters because they think they need to, potentially the headline is is the fascinating part of it. That's an interesting way of thinking about it, yeah. If you have to dress it up so much to make it an actual, and they didn't do a great job, but try to make it a full, well-rounded, there's a reason to watch this story, if you have to fictionalize so much of it, maybe, yeah, it should just be like a short. Do any of us know anything about guns? Were, was the gun stuff they were talking about accurate? Yeah, it was pretty accurate. Cool. I, I, the interesting thing is, I think that the technology, from what I know about the technology, that that stuff is all accurate, true, too. A Fed BizOps does exist and does run the way that they're talking about. All, everything politically that they were talking about that led to Fed BizOps is accurate as well. So that kind of stuff, I think, is, it, it, again, part of the fascinating part of the headline. But once you get into the story and what brings us this whole thing, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a buddy movie, right? It's a, it's a buddy war drama comedy. <laughs> does it does it still run this way? I would think that after this whole thing uh, happened, that they would have found a way to kind of rework that whole thing. It just, it just seems like so so flawed and faulty. It just kind of is frightening. Well, in my uh, nine to five, I I 
I'm on FedBizOps quite a bit, and uh, it, it, <laughs> uh, it, uh, not for these types of things. I'm not a gun runner. Uh, I'm terribly afraid of guns. But beyond beyond that, uh, it you, you don't ever have to touch the guns, man. <laughs> you can do it all without ever leaving your room. I'm never oh, going to Albania. My God. <laughs> no, uh, but it's still those the sort of uh, initiatives that they put in place to make sure that small businesses get ahead are still active. Um, they still that the sort of idea of the crumbs versus the big pie uh, and giving people crumbs so that they make sure that small businesses are given a leg up that still works or that's still active as well i would assume that anything they changed based on based on the afghan deal and the parts of the story that did become illegal and came out have to do with the opportunities themselves right so talking about guns and ammo and uh and the different things that we might be doing overseas that may be more better for defense contractors than other people. Uh, but they still run Fed biz ops in pretty much the same way, as far as I can tell. Crazy. Scary. Right? It is crazy. And I, I can't imagine that in the real version of the story, at least my understanding of it, that it was so action-packed for the two of them. Like, I, I would be curious to know, and it's not so fresh in my mind, if the whole piece about Albania is even true, or how, how right. much the two of them actually did go overseas and, and how much of it Really, they stayed behind the desks and, uh, and, you know, other people did that kind of stuff or it was all handled over the phone. I would be, you know, but in the interest of making a a dramatic action movie, they had to sort of create that tension. Right. Was there an actual Henry character? Right. And I don't know the answer to that one. It's tough. I would guess not. I mean, uh, before we had this conversation, I would have thought that some of that was true. And I think that people that go and see the movie are going to assume that it's true. But I think that potentially the point we're making is that the true part is the crime, right? It's it's it, the, the crime that they committed was the true part. The rest of it was made up to make it a cool movie. Right. Yeah. And I don't even know how much the the falling apart of the friend, you know, because in some ways, and I don't know if you guys feel this, like, you know, there are those friendships that you have where two weeks, two months, two years into it, you suddenly open your eyes and you're like, how the F did I end up in this friendship? What the hell am I getting out of it? You know, how did I end up here? <laughs> um, or y- you're friends with people who you know in elementary school or even high school because you went through <laughs> together and that's why you're still friends. You don't really like right. the person anymore, but you know, they're your guy from high school that you played football with or whatever, but you don't even actually like them anymore. But every time you're in town, you still look them up and you still go out and have a beer, whatever. Um, and I feel like there's an element of that in, in this story as, as well. And in the end, the Paul character ends up saying, you know what, this whatever it was that we had isn't feed isn't worth it to me anymore <laughs> duh yeah. and and i'm out of here and again i don't know i mean in the in the what i do remember of the snap judgment in the rolling stones article that wasn't the truth at all he was as much in it uh and money hungry as anybody else although he does come off as very money hungry in the in the film as does his yeah. wife, who in the end is like, yeah, I'll stay in this really expensive Miami hotel. Whatever. <laughs> they're great sheets. They're great sheets. Great sheets, yes. Yeah. 400 thread count. Yeah, I think that the, the point you're making is really interesting. I think the greatest part of friendship is history, and that, that's probably true. Uh, beyond that, uh, whatever was true to this movie is really difficult to tell. Um, how did y'all think it looked? Fine. I mean, I, nothing stood out as far as the the cinematography or anything. I mean, it, it you know, 
It uh, was nice and it looked warm when they were over in Iraq and Jordan. It looked blue in, when they were in uh, Albania. In Morocco. Or, sorry, and now in, in Romania, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah I, mean, it, it, I mean, nothing stood out. It looked very slick in Miami. Uh, it, all, it looked exactly like uh, I would expect Todd Phillips to make it look. I didn't have a favorite shot, and that kind of bugs me about it. I would really have liked to walked away and said, "Oh, that was, that was the shot that that made the movie for me." I, I would expect it from him, and I didn't, I didn't see that. My favorite parts were the, and again, it really owes everything to Scorsese. I feel, uh, but the montages when someone is doing a voiceover explaining how things are done, and it's a bunch of people at computers, it's a bunch of people on phones, and all the stuff, but the camera is constantly moving. It reminded me of. Let me break down how casino works. Casino. Let breaks you down on how uh, Big Polly doesn't talk to anyone in Goodfellas, but he talks to this person who goes to this person who goes to this person. I thought uh, it was a perfect replication of stuff that um, Scorsese does, and that's when I got my biggest juice for the film. I really liked it, while again being conflicted that it's not his style; it's someone else's style. But it was done, I thought, really well. If I had to pick a favorite shot, um, it probably would be, uh, and it's it's. I think it was on one of the posters. Actually, it's when uh, Jonah Hill is is shooting the uh, the gun with testing out the uh, the Chinese ammo or what they the, the slow motion. Yeah, yeah, the slow motion with and, the AK forty seven. Right, it's nothing that exciting, but I don't know. There and as and as much as Jonah Hill's character. Um, didn't uh, work for me. Um, you know, it just, it's still, I enjoyed that moment. It just seemed like that moment kind of said everything about this particular story. That That's true. And I think that was the best music cue of the film as well. I think it said, the, I think it said the most about the filmmakers too. I gotta say though, the music cues, and I don't know if it's just me, but I, I swear, I am starting to feel like, and maybe it's just this particular film made me feel this way, but so many of these tracks that they played in here are just, it was like out of the playbook for, oh, well, we gotta have this track in because, because everybody uses it when it's yeah. this particular thing in this sort of biopic. It's like, oh, God, I've heard every one of these songs in some other biopic, and I think they all used it better than they used them here. I, I, I thought the film from a from a lighting cinematography looked beautiful. I mean, I, I don't think I have anything negative to say about that. Um, you know, there were, uh, agreeing with Tommy, you know, there are a lot of elements here that are used a lot in a lot of their films. I think we've all said that quite a bit. Like, we've seen this before. It's been done before. But that said, it still looked just fine. I mean, I wasn't, you know, like, going like, oh, God, you know, what the hell are they doing with that lighting? That makes no sense. Like, it all makes sense. It's all pretty... Um, uh, yeah, the slow-mo stuff, the the captions, you know, for the set scenes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, all that works just fine for me. I, ha- I have no, other than I've seen it before, I have no complaints. And I think that just fine is kind of <laughs> what we're taking right. over <laughs> on the whole film, right? It was right. Just, fine. just fine. They did what they wanted. They they found they found the music cues that connected to the stereotypical moments that we had. They had the 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 right colors for the right locations, and they brought up chapter titles to make sure that we knew what was going to happen. And I found myself using it like a word search, actually. Uh, waiting. Wait a minute. Did did they just say the chapter title, or right. Right, am I exactly. supposed to wait till later? Uh, <laughs> right. Did he say that sounds illegal, or was that just sounds illegal? Oh, they're going <laughs> right. to say it again later. Right, exactly. So that was weirdly dis- the chapter titles were weirdly distracting. Mm. Yeah, they felt like an affectation. They felt like uh, just some other little thing to put on it. 
uh, other words that mean affectation. And then, um, yeah, it just became, like Gigi said, like a word hunt because they would get close of like illegal kind of. And I'm like, what? Oh, no, they misspelled the chapter title. And then 15 minutes later, someone says that sounds illegal. Oh, there's the chapter title. I got it. Yeah. (laughs) And also it, it put a not a good like suspense to it. It also let me kind of know a lot of the chapter titles let me know too much of just waiting for this part to happen. If I was going to kill you, you'd already be dead. Well, if we're in a scene with, you know, uh, Miles Taylor and someone else that's not Bradley Cooper, you're like, okay, well, when's Bradley Cooper going to show up? It didn't work for me. It it felt like too uh, obvious and too much of just sort of like, let's just put more style in here for style's sake. Um yeah. Well, and, and same thing with with the freeze frames, which just drove me nuts because I feel like that has become such a cliche now in films to as especially films that have voiceover. In fact, really, it's only films that have voiceover where you freeze frame just to emphasize the voiceover. And I feel like that has become so just overdone nowadays. And it just, you know, as a way to emphasize something, it's just. I don't know. It's just getting to a point where it's too much for me now. Saying I that agree. makes me remember the one of the things where the audience laughed in my in my theater, which is the freeze frame of Jonah Hill after. It's not when they make the big deal, but they're in the the uh, restaurant. Uh, God, I'm not going to think about it. And there's a freeze frame of him, and he's you know he's like doing super big eyes with a wide mouth, and for some reason, yep. my audience thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Sorry. so when they finally get that big deal. Yeah. What do you think they thought was funny about that? I think just Jonah Hill's facial expression. Yeah, his facial expression, I think, was what made them laugh. That's what they do so often with those freeze frames is they they find a a funny frame to freeze on of the actor. And, I mean, it can be used effectively. But here it's just like it felt like they were just playing into the cliche. My wife and I do that at home with Netflix. Ooh, that was a bad place to pause. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did they put that in the movie? That's awesome. The Netflix pause game. Exactly. Let's put it in our movies. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, you know, it's interesting that we talk about that this stuff feels played out because I think that when we had some of it in The Hangover from this team, it felt fresh. But I uh, I think that maybe Philip stepping out and doing something that feels a little bit more grown up now, uh, that he reverted potentially to some of those tried and true things and end up here because they aren't dynamic enough that they feel pretty tired as opposed to true. Right. Yeah. Truth is, I'm just now remembering too, that Jonah Hill's character in real life goes to jail because he, he ends up, it's something like he ends up buying a Glock or something like that from an undercover um, FBI agent or something like it's something totally not at all. Like what happens in the movie at all. It's going to be interesting to see if another film or another sort of it could even be an article at this point could be something a completely separate media item altogether to tell other parts of this story especially thinking about how this movie is going to do um it had a 45 million dollar budget uh my film my theater was tiny there were only about 40 people in it um how did how did your theater stack up in terms of uh attendance 45 million yeah was the budget yeah that's actually that's low that feels low to me that's on IMDb. That's what they're saying on IMDb. Cool. Estimated forty. No, I'm not. I'm not saying this year away. No, I know. I'm <laughs> just saying that that feels that feels low. This feels like a pretty extravagant movie. So cool. Well, the locations, I guess. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. But um, 
but are they going to make it back? I guess would be the question. Right, what do you guys think right. based on based on your theaters? Mine was uh, decent. Uh, it was actually, I, I should say it's actually probably three quarters full at a, like a one twenty show in the afternoon on Saturday. So uh, oh, that's big, you know. Yeah, it, it was pretty. It was a pretty decent crowd, and like I said, they seemed into it. I I went this afternoon as well. I think almost about the same time you did, Andy. Uh, it was also a smaller theater, a Harkins Theater, but one of the smaller ones. And it was about half to a quarter quarter full, and it was mostly full of of older dudes not sitting next to each other. That seems totally creepy to me. <laughs> but I, then what again, I? I'm probably an older dude that was not sitting next to anyone in my theater either. <laughs> So I don't know. All right, this oh, wait, is, what, what do you consider older? Well, this was like North. This is like North Scottsdale, so it was uh, uh, it was white haired, white haired or no haired. But that doesn't that doesn't work for you, Andy. White haired or no haired <laughs> individuals. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting alone. Right, Tommy. How did were you that one cackling? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. As one of the guys sitting in Alice's theater, I didn't think I was creepy. I just wanted to see a film. But now I feel weird wearing that trench coat. (laughs) Tommy, what did it look like uh, there in LA? Uh, Mine isn't fair. I have an unconditional, or not an unconditional, unconventional schedule. So I saw it at noon on Friday. So there was probably like eight people in there. Um, I will say that in a theater, uh, it was one of the smaller theaters, the Arclight. There's about 150 seats. Uh, but it is reserved seating. I sat down and someone sat right next to oh, me. Oh, wow. That's there awkward. were six of us in the theater. That's so, weird. <laughs> and this is, no, and this is not a joke. So I was just sort of like, okay. So I just sort of like got up, stretched, and moved over a seat, because why not? <laughs> and then another person came and sat to my left. What? <laughs> we really apparently take our assigned seating really, really serious. Oh. Yeah. That is so yeah. funny. So oh, that's hysterical. Very, that is that's hysterical. Yeah. So at that point, it was just like, you know, what are you going to do? War dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I war dogged it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay. Um, it's got 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's probably going to be pretty accurate based on what we were talking about. It might even go down after this week. Because of us. Cause of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's got this 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it probably seems a little bit accurate based on our conversation here and may even go down if uh, people see it and put reviews there. There. So why don't we uh, take to our great measure of uh, film quality and let's rank it. Dogs of War! They're selling plastic bags of ammunition, guns galore. They're equal parts cocaine and ambition. Something about Albania who let the war dogs out. Flick chart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was to the tune of my last fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alice, that's a thing I do that everyone barely puts up with. <laughs> All right, let's go. That's pretty impressive, man. Pretty impressive. Go check out flickchart.com slash TNR film board to see the special TNR subset of film board movies ranked that have been ranked rather by these thugs. It's much smaller than the mothership shows rankings. We've only got 48 there and the lists quality in general is probably going to be called out right here in just a moment, but that's where you can find our list. And right now we're going to see where war dogs sets up against those other 48. So in the first battle, Andy, first up, we have the uh, war dogs versus the dark Knight rises. Dark Knight rises. Oh yeah. A little Bane action. Which one? That's the third one? Yeah. Yep, the one with that's Bane. The third one. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I will say, I will say War Dogs. I'm gonna go Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight as Rises. Well. Yeah. Uh, despite my issues with it, it's far better. War Dogs or Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. War Dogs. Oh my God. It's bad, right? <laughs> Those are Jack really Ryan Shadow Recruit. Oh, Chris Pine uh, in yep. Fight War Dogs. War Dogs. War Dogs. Uh, War Dogs. War Dogs. War Dogs. War Dogs. War Dogs. Oh yeah, God. as the Russian with his awesome oh Russian accent. <laughs> this is painful. This is a really hard one because I don't like either of these movies that much, but I, I guess I will say War Dogs over Jack Ryan. Yep. Oh, my God. Dogs of War! Okay. <laughs> Whenever it wins, I have to sing that. <laughs> okay. War New Dogs. Rule. Yeah, please, please continue. That's great. Um, War Dogs or Godzilla. Oh, Oh. oh, I have to abstain because I haven't seen Godzilla. Uh, well, I'm going to go Godzilla. I think I'm going to go Godzilla too, as well. So it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter, but we're still curious, Tommy. <laughs> you can't. Godzilla, you don't get out of it that easily. That was, the, that was the Godzilla Brian Cranston, right? Correct. Yes. I can't remember what I felt about that movie. It's a good thing it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna say War Dogs. Dogs of War. You just wanted to sing. You see, you're getting Alice, this. Stop you it. You guys have just met, and you already know. It's so good. It's so funny. All right, next up, War Dogs or Forty Two. Oh, Forty Two. Uh, it was a baseball Jackie movie. Robinson. Oh God, no, I haven't. No. Um, I don't do. I don't do sports. It, <laughs> All right, it's you and me, JJ. Uh, oh, oh my god! I had issues with forty two and its and its uh, relative blandness. Yeah, but so very similar but, to uh, this. Film. Very so similar. wait, I think I think you should both do it on one, two, three. Say okay. It. Can you do that, Andy? Sure. Okay. Uh, one, one, two, two three, forty two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fight to the death! There can only awesome. be one winner in flick John. <laughs> do you do you have a, do you are you holding uh hard and fast Not to war all. dogs? Let's go with forty two. Okay. <laughs> I'd rather do that than Rochambeau. Then listen right, exactly. then listen to Tommy sing. Just kidding. Well, That's right. right, a little more dogs of war. War dogs are the equalizer. The equalizer. Denzel Washington. Equalizer, for sure for me. Equalizer. War dogs. I'm equalizer. And uh, Alice? I'm gonna go equalizer as well. Nice. All right. War Dogs or Everest? Oh, Abs- see? Abstain? They're all coming up. Um, wow. I'm going to go War Everest. Dogs. So, JJ, it's up to you. Uh, war Dogs, War Dogs need you. War I'm going to go with the one that I will most likely see again. I dislike both these movies, but I'll go with Everest just because I think I'll see that again rather than War Dogs again. All right. Well... Uh, yeah, we're we're fighting with all the stuff in the bottom of the barrel, which is a lot of our uh, a lot of the movies here. That's but, uh, the next real promise. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we seek out the worst choice for you each no. month. Child uh, forty four. <laughs> hey, at least this beat Child forty four, which is down good. at forty one. Okay, we're working at getting that to forty four, but this ended up at thirty seven okay. out of uh, now forty nine on our flick chart. That sounds about oh, right. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! When am I so, going to get to yep. see like a top ten movie, guys? I mean, it, come on! I know. Hopefully next time. 
We'll, br- we'll try to bring you on for Rogue uh, Rogue One. Oh, God, that would be awesome. Well, I hope. We'll, we'll bring you okay. on See, for that's the thing. Right. We hope. That's the danger. <laughs> it is the danger. We've hoped so many of these movies would be that uh, that great. <laughs> that's the frustrating part. Right. So then we also do Letterboxd rankings um, out of five stars, but we do allow half stars. Mm. Um, so out of five, where would you put uh, War Dogs? I'm at 1.5. Whoa. Wow. Really didn't like it. Oof. Yeah. I'm going to go 2.5. Yes, 2.5. Uh, I'm going to go three and three quarters. What? Bad boy. No, I'll go three and a half. <laughs> wow. Wow. Really? Had a lot of fun. Forgot it by the time I was in the parking lot, but I had a lot of fun while you were there. But still 3.5, huh? Uh, oh, oh! Again, I didn't ask for anyone's opinion. So, <laughs> three and a half, you jerks! <laughs> I love it. I, 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 three stars. Three, cool. Yeah. Quick math. That's wow. That's a big spectrum. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And thinking back to our conversation here, that's yeah. Well, but no fours and fives. That's what we need to do, Alice. We need to get you on a four and five movie. They do exist. Mm-hmm. I I know so I know. <laughs> yeah. So that's two point six two five. So rounded up to three stars. Sure. Is where we landed, which is seems it, is way it, too high for me. No, uh, for me too. I, 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 I have to listen. Well, you you're at two point five. It's practically what you uh, chose. Well, and it is what Alice chose, so that makes sense. No, it's no, right no. I, yeah, it's it's right at three. It's an average yep. movie. It's average. It's average. Yep. I didn't yeah, think it was horrible. It's it all, was average. It's all Alice's fault. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to become arch nemeses, Tommy. I think that's what's going to happen here. I've been looking for an arch nemesis. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. Oh, I will defeat you. All right. With joy. So where do we go from here? Next month, we are doing Snowden, which I think... I mean, considering our, we're kind of doing a series here, right? Of, of, uh, of interesting warish intelligence things. We did Born last month. We've got War Dogs this month, and now Snowden coming out. There, it's like uh, a trilogy. Uh, yeah, exactly. In my theater, there was a notice of a Fathom event for Snowden the Wednesday before it's released, which is. I think that's on September 16th is the release. And on the 14th, they're doing a Fathom event, which I've never gone to any of those. Have you guys ever done those? I don't even know what you're talking about. So the Fathom events are these live things that happen. It's for my parents. Oh, really? I they feel like do it's it? always just about like live streaming and opera. Yeah, that's what they usually advertise. This is interesting because, they, well, how they're trying to sell it, they're actually going to have Oliver Stone there for an interview. Whoa. And they're also, they say, this is what they're promoting, that they're actually going to have Snowden. Snowden live. Wow. So I okay, think, that would be a coup. And that's on the 14th, right? So that's on Wednesday, September 14th. So I think we're, what we're going to try to do as the film board is try to figure out someone who can go to that as well. Because I think oh as part of the conversation, that, that makes it really interesting. And I've never done a Fathom event, so I was hoping that somebody had. But yeah. I, I, I've done one, oh, you did. but it was, the, it was the Wiggles. <laughs> and I don't know if it fully counted because they build it as live as they build most of these live. But that just meant it was recorded live. Uh-huh. And we, uh, we watched oh. the live recording. I don't think they actually um, have them as real live events. Uh, well, especially with Snowden, that would be yeah, right. Well, <laughs> you know, he's not a guy that wants to necessarily be tied down to a location. 
Right. Are the Wiggles going to be in the Snowden one? <laughs> yes. No. I think that the interesting thing about it, though, you're saying that the recorded live is one thing. I think the other thing is that they're saying that it always happens at the same time around the world, basically. Oh. Is that is that accurate, Andy? Do you know? No. Uh, well, I don't know. The live one for me, it was just they called it live. But right. it's like the opera. It's like the li- you feel like you're there live. Mm. I think that's kind of how they bill live. I, I haven't been to one where it's like a live, like Super Bowl sort of thing. I know they've done some things. I don't know if Fathom is the one who does the uh, the Super Bowl or the Oscar, those sorts of things where you can go to the theater and watch it at a movie theater. But um, that actually would be a live event. Well, maybe we'll do some more research on it and see if it is valuable to us. I think the Oliver Stone talk back would be interesting as well. Uh, just because did you, did you guys also have the Oliver? I had an Oliver Stone turn off your phone thing before this movie. Did you guys have that? No. Oliver Stone gave this little speech about how, and I think it was probably in connection with Snowden coming out, how he believes that the phone and like the Patriot Act and all the things that are, that are uncovering security in our phones is going to be the end of the world as we know it. And so he said, and so turn off your phones, right? So he does the the movie. We're all in a movie, so turn off your phones. And then I was in a Cinemark theater, and then Cinemark puts up this thing saying that Oliver Stone's views do not necessarily represent the same views as Cinemark, <laughs> but please still turn off your phone. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that so is hilarious. I don't know. I think um, no matter what, we have to do some research and find out if uh, if it makes sense for us to do this in preparation for our film board about Snow- Snowden next month. In addition, uh, looking for uh, shorts, Steve and I are doing a trailer rewind on Odd Thomas. I don't know if how if you guys know about that. Uh, that's an Anton Yelchin film, which is, you know, rest oh. in peace. But uh, it's Aww. kind of... Uh, it's originally a Dean Koontz novel and it kind of has a feeling that it's kind of like the Frighteners with a couple different ideas to it. Uh, I saw it and I think Steve saw it. We're going to try to record it here in the next couple of weeks. So look for that coming out. And then Andy, what's going on in the uh, TNR series? We are finally fi- finishing up our, uh, our two month long disease films series, which has been rather long <laughs> and a lot more disappointing than I think either Pete or and I were uh, were hoping for. But uh, we're going to be wrapping it up with Steven Soderbergh's Contagion this week, that and then getting sounds ready to depressing. Kick off our... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like well, that movie. Oh, though. it's terrifying. The, there are some fun ones in there. Okay, uh, also, like Serenity. We put Serenity in, which which is kind of a disease film. Well, that was interesting. That was right. really the that was the highlight. Right. Of our <laughs> the Reapers. Yeah. We, yes, exactly. We've had some low uh, some low points with uh, the Crazies and uh, uh, the Omega Man stuff like that. Right. Right. Oh, you didn't like the crazy? Wait, did you watch the original I, Crazies or the new Crazies? Uh, we watched the original. Which oh, I'm I, a huge I, I'm a huge fan of the new the remake of the Crazies. Yeah, no, it was fun. I, I did enjoy the uh, the remake probably more than the original. Sure. And then Alice, where can everyone find you and your crew's awesome work? So educatinggeeks.com. Uh, new podcasts come out about every Friday. Um, Woe comes out on every other Wednesday, and me. Woe pers- sounds awesome. You, de- you should definitely check it out. And, and Chrissy's a professional um, stand-up comedian, so and she has a lot of her. Um, I'm sorry, not stand-up, improv comedy. She has a lot mm. of her improv comedy team come on with her. So it's 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 often quite, they're quite funny, uh, as you would expect. Uh, and then me, personally, you can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet uh, as A-L-C-B-K-R. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us here. I'm sorry that uh, we keep bringing you to movies that are 
not the best you've ever seen. Uh, we'll try to do better <laughs> in the future uh, when we set up. We'll find something that is going to, you know, kick ass, and, and we'll get you involved with that, too. Uh, as for the rest of you thugs, good night, Andy Nelson. night. I'm off to Albania. <laughs> Stay cool, Tommy Handsome. Good night. Off to Albania. I am JJ. <laughs> and thank you so very much for listening to the Film Board. Until next. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.